0: I hope that you guys survived. I guess since you're here, you technically survived. But I want to make sure you survived emotionally your Thanksgiving season. Uh, if you have had a difficult uh, time of it, if you're uh, uh, if, if you're maybe here and have had a frustrating Thanksgiving, I want to uh, pray for you in just a moment. But I also want to say this is December the first, which means that the Church Universal, uh, people all over the world are using this as an opportunity to enter into what's called the Advent season. And this is kind of a strange thing to people uh, maybe who have not uh, been part of the church for very long. It's a time where we intentionally kind of turn back the clock, and uh, we kind of put ourselves in the position of waiting uh, for the the breaking in of God and the person and work of Jesus. Uh, and so a lot of people are like, well, he already came, so you know we kind of move on. It's like, oh, no, no. And we go back once a year, and we kind of try to create that sense of expectation of what it was like for the world to be caught and trapped in slavery to its sin, and then for Jesus to break into the world, and we think about all that that means for our, uh, our lives, and so we're going to continue this series called Freedom in Just a Moment, uh, but I want us to kind of welcome God into the room. He's already here, but let's just acknowledge His presence And uh, before we dive into the Word this morning. Let's pray. Uh, our Heavenly Father, uh, with glad hearts, uh, we come before you this morning. And we pray, Father, that you would uh, be among us. Uh, we pray, Father, that uh, with every word that is spoken this morning, that we would reflect on everything that it means, uh, that you've come into this world, uh, that you cared enough about us to not leave us stuck in our sin, uh, but that you came in the person of Jesus Christ, Father, and you put on flesh. You came, you, um, uh, you, you welcomed us, Father, when we were not welcomeable. Uh, You embraced us when we were not embraceable, and Father, we turn away from our sins this morning. We accept the freedom that you've given to us in Jesus, Uh, and now as we open the Word, Father, we pray uh, that your richest blessings would fall in this room, that our eyes would be opened, that our hearts would be full, and that we would hear what you have to say to us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Uh, I got a picture of a house I want to show you. It's right behind me here. Anybody know what this is? Zanesville, Ohio. Does that help you? It didn't help me at all. Uh, let me give you another one. This is a pastor's house. Now, he's de- dead and long gone by now. Uh, this belonged to the Reverend John Rankin. Anybody know that name at all? Anybody? No? Well, hey, this will be good morning. Reverend Rankin uh, built this house, and as you can see out the window on the picture on the right, so that's looking out of one of his windows. You can see the river there in the background. So in the 1800s, he built this house with a great view of the river. And what would happen is slaves would escape and come across the river and go through that entire, I mean, swampy mess down there. God only knows what kind of animals are in there. But they would make their way across the river, and often, especially if it was raining, they had a hard time making their way up the hill to his house. Reverend Rankin was a father of 13 children, Uh, apparently... Uh, slow learner too um, but Reverend Rankin had 15 of them in this house more than 2,000 slaves found their freedom by going through Reverend Rankin's house Presbyterian minister but he saw that people were in freedom and as most people who have a real clear sense of the gospel do they know God's about freedom like next week's text is it is for freedom that Christ is set us free God is a, a God of freedom And so when he saw us enslaved to the passions of the flesh, he saw us enslaved to our sin, he sends Jesus into the world to liberate us. And again, if you haven't been part of this series yet, let me just say, what you're going to see this morning is him, uh, the heart of a pastor, gushing forth because what ends up happening is the Galatians finally make it through to freedom, and then they start going back into slavery. And we've talked about how sometimes... It's hard for people who've been incarcerated for a very long period of time or who lived in slavery to find their way once they were free. And they didn't know uh, what it was like to actually just have to, you know, and we we looked at the movie The Shawshank Redemption and how, you know, Morgan Freeman's character can't get past just having to ask somebody to go to the bathroom every time that he does it, that it's hard to live freely when you're used to living in bondage. And that doesn't change at Galatia. So Reverend Rankin here, 44 years. He spends bringing slaves to freedom. More than 2,000 slaves found their freedom. He gave them food. He gave them drink, often room and board, up to 12 at a time. He could hold with the other 13 in a very, very small house, 25 of them. But he was willing to do it for the price of freedom. And so as we look at what freedom in Christ means and all that it means, we're going today to look at the heart of a pastor. Uh, And we're going to get touchy-feely. A little bit, Okay, we're going to get down to a very core truth, which is this, that if you're in ministry or if you're a Christian, there is something you are supposed to feel on behalf of your sister and brother, that you should care about their spiritual well-being. You should care if they're doing well spiritually. You should care if they're not doing well spiritually. You should care. You should care. And so it's here in Galatians that Paul is trying to help them understand, hey, look, you and, we've kind of hit the rocks somehow. In the old days, you, you would have been willing to give me the eyes out of your head, he says, if I'd asked for them. And now because I'm telling you the truth, you don't like me anymore. Let me tell you what it's like. Me worrying about you, he's about to say, is like a woman in labor. That's what it's like. And I am eager to see Christ formed in you. So with that in mind, get your Bibles open, Galatians chapter 4. Uh, you can follow along on the YouVersion Bible app if you like. Um, go to there, hit events, hit more, find new vintage, and we're off and running. All right? So this is uh, Galatians 4. We're going to read verses 8 to 12 to start, but keep your Bible open. We're going to go a little bit further. So here's what Paul is... Listen, I want you to listen to the emotion in both of these texts we're going to read this morning. Before you Gentiles knew God you were slaves to the so-called gods that don't even exist so now that you know God or should I say now that God knows you why do you want to go back again and become slaves once more to the weak and useless spiritual principles of this world you're trying to earn favor with God by observing certain days or months or seasons or years I fear for you perhaps all my hard work with you was for nothing Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to live as I do in freedom from these things, for I have become like you gen, uh, become like you Gentiles, free from those laws. You didn't mistreat me when I first preached to you, he says. So listen to just what he's saying here, okay? The crux of it is this. Listen, guys, I have come to you and I preached the gospel to you, and I watched you. I was Reverend Rankin, essentially. I brought you in. I paid the price. And we were close. And you found your freedom just like I had. But now you're going backward. And you may not think that I care, but I care. You may not think God cares, but I am begging you, I am pleading with you, don't go back. One of the hardest things for me as a minister is to baptize somebody into Christ and see the new life be birthed in them... Only to watch the old ways kind of take over in the absence of that. It's, hey, they found their freedom, but they didn't like life in freedom. They couldn't adapt to it. And so they end up going back to a life spent in spiritual bondage. So he asks this question. He goes, look, man, I even, as we read in earlier chapters, I confronted Peter, I mean, the Peter, because of his hypocrisy, because he was kind of wanting to just. Uh, have it both ways. He wanted to be able to be a legalist when it suited him and he wanted to live uh, in freedom and encourage you to be free when it suited him. And so I called that out. We did all of these different things, but now I'm, f- I'm afraid that all of my work among you is now going to be wasted. How can you turn back again, he asks. And that's the question. How can they turn back again? How can we turn back again? Why do people turn back Thriving through freedom in Christ is God's desire for, for all people. And it's in that habitat that spiritual life grows. What he'll call Christ being formed in them. So it would do us well to realize that if it can happen to them, it can happen to us too. Now, I want to be clear about something. The atonement for our sins is one matter. But that's kind of the starting blocks is what, the way we word it here. Conversion is the starting blocks, not the finish line. So when a person comes to Christ, what God wants for them is for them to continue to grow, continue to flourish, continue to uh, have Christ formed in them. And the goal ultimately is not the conversion at a one-time moment. It's the full formation of Jesus in the life and character of the person. So that on a daily basis, from the moment that, that, that they come out of the waters of baptism, there's a transformation. That person now is walking by the Spirit And you should see a resemblance then, a growing resemblance between Jesus and them. And to the extent that that's not happening, there's a problem. That there is by nature a a growth that is supposed to take place that is very much a part of God's desire for humankind, not just the conversion of the soul or the atonement for the sins of a person. And then the church then becomes this community of people who said that Jesus is Lord and they seek to live out Jesus is Lord on a daily basis. We do learn from them. It's possible to stumble and fall. Now, some people, again, believe that conversion is the most important thing. But it's really not. After all, we're called to make disciples, not start them, not have them, uh, not allocate them or possess them, that we're supposed to help make them, that, that there's a development, a spiritual formation process that goes on. So when I become a Christian then, the next step is, okay, what's the next step? How is it that I can align my life with the Holy Spirit of God in such a way that I continue to grow? How do I put myself in community with others that are on the same journey? What practices do I need to start engaging in? How do I need to realign my priorities? How do I need to change this or that so that Christ can be formed in me? Now the fact that the book of Galatians even exists is a good reminder to us that a person can find freedom and then make their way back to slavery if they don't replace it with things that help them grow in in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now here's where Paul starts to spill his guts. Galatians 4, 15 to 20. Here's what he writes. He says, where is that joyful and grateful spirit you felt then? I'm sure you would have taken out your own eyes and given them to me if if that had been possible. Have I now become your enemy because I'm telling you the truth? Those false teachers are so eager to win your favor, but their intentions are not good. They're trying to shut you off from me so that you'll pay attention only to them. If someone is eager to do good things for you, that's all right, but let them do it all the time, not just when I'm with you. Oh, my dear children, I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again, and they will continue until Christ is fully developed in your lives. I wish I were with you right now so I could change my tone, but at this distance, I don't know how else to help you. So, now let me, those of you who are in leadership positions here in this church, or if you work with people at all, here is an an inconvenient truth of leadership. People boomerang on you. And when they do, it's absolutely heartbreaking. To watch somebody that you've poured yourself into, year after year perhaps, to watch them boomerang on you, and walk right back out the same door they walked in at one point. To watch them post something, for instance, on social media from their from, from their baptism or from just a few weeks ago, and then to put, make a whole new series of posts that make you deeply question how those two go together. How do you live this way on that day and live that way on another day? To watch somebody make enormous progress. This is one thing I, I definitely learned as a youth minister. Teenagers are, are very cyclical, we'll say. Boomerangish is another way to put it. Where you, you go, hey, they're going forward and the next thing you know, the thing's coming back, backward at an alarming rate. And when you do, and parents, if it's one of your kids or if it's one of your friends, maybe you've had that experience. It's all that's on your mind. I'm worried about them. What happened to them? You know, they were doing so well. And it seems just like that. It's just, it's just like all over. That's what Paul's going through. He goes, I was just there. You guys just got your emancipation papers. We celebrated together. And so how in the world can you go backward like that? How can you just go back into slavery like that? And he goes, and now you're turning on me because I'm telling you the truth. And yes, I know there are other teachers around you that are telling you what you want to hear, but they only do that when they think I'm around. But the rest of the time, they're not really after your best interest. They're just doing whatever. He goes, you would have given me your own eyeballs. And so now I'm your enemy because I'm telling you the truth. It's a way of saying, oh, the glass in the rearview mirror is always a bit rose-tinted. Paul says he first preached to them while he was laid up with some bodily ailment. The Galatians came to love Paul so much that he says that they would have given their eyes for him. He then says, okay, now I'm your enemy because I'm telling you the truth. And then he says that people are trying to make a big deal uh, of circumcision and everything, or making a big deal of it, uh, basically a big deal of the Galatians, so that they will be a big deal. Paul, on the other hand, says, I care so deeply for you. I'm like a mother in labor until Christ is formed in you. Some of you have been in the room when a woman's in labor. I've done it three times. I know this. She ain't having fun. <laughs> I mean, the first time around, first time around, I had, uh, you know, we'd see, I'd seen the movies uh, that they show you. When you're doing Lamaze and all that stuff, we did all those things. And, and I had every intention of being far north of the border, if you know what I'm saying. I was going to be in the room, but not of the room. I was gonna be in there, happy to, to be a part of whatever. Well, as it turned out, it was Christmas Eve that my daughter Anna decided to show up, my first child. Uh, and so it's a good preacher's kid birthday, isn't it, Christmas Eve, it's perfect. Uh, and so we get in there, uh, but the hospital, short on staff that night. Dr. Paragini, never forget her, uh, was nowhere to be found. She was at a Christmas party. My wife was in labor for, it was north of 50 hours. Okay, north of 50. That's a long, a long, laborious process. I think it was a harbinger of things to come uh, for <laughs> for Anna, uh, being <laughs> where she was. She comes on, on Christmas Eve. Well, Peri Janie's not there. But that isn't going to keep the kid from coming because the doctor's not in the room. So I end up being enlisted in the delivery of the child. And when I say enlisted in the delivery, I mean, you know, face to face with the child when the kid came out. <laughs> okay? Meanwhile, my blessed wife, who is there in suffering and in anguish, you know, just wants to be done with it at 50-something hours. Holy cow, you know. We're all wanting it to be done. Kid two came out with two pushes. So God bless Olivia. Kid three was longer, um, you know, and was our largest of the children uh, coming out. And they each had their own thing, no matter whether it was the first kid, second kid, or third kid. The one thing that didn't happen was fun. You know what labor feels like? I don't. But I've watched it. And I have eyewitness testimony from many of you that will say it is no fun. So when Paul says this, he says, I am like a woman in labor. What he's trying to say is it's awful. I'm in anguish. I'm in pain. I'm in really, really bad pain until, he says, Christ is formed in you. I'm in labor. Until that happens. That, sisters and brothers, is the heart not just of a pastor. It's definitely that. But it's also the way that becomes the role model for what the church is supposed to be for one another. Now when I look at a sister or a brother and I see them struggling. I see them grieving. I see them broken. I see them, you know, their life just being screwed up by all sorts of things. I'm supposed to care. How much? Like I'm like a woman in labor. It pains me. Let me ask you something. I'll tell you, I'll tell you, this is the case for me every Thanksgiving. Uh, if you're ever with me on Thanksgiving Day, I will get distracted in my mind on a regular basis throughout the course of that day. It's not just looking at my phone or it's not just checking the football scores. It's that I know what some of you are dealing with on that day. And you come to my mind. And it's hard for me to just pretend that that's not happening. I feel for you. I care. And I'm thinking about people who are going to that table single for the first time. Or it's the first time they just lost their mom or their dad, and that's where they used to have Thanksgiving, and it jacked the whole plan up. Everybody had plane tickets, and now everybody's meeting at a different spot. And their whole tradition that they'd always had had changed. Or the person who doesn't have a flipping place to go. Or the person who is going to do something stupid that day because they're so depressed. Something that will boomerang their walk with Christ, right? And so I try occasionally to send little texts. I can't get around to everybody. But when God brings somebody to mind, I try to take that seriously. And I try to text people, hey, I'm grateful for you. Um, hey, I know this is a tough day for you. Hey, I know that this went on because I don't... There, there's something intrinsic to that. Now, I wish I could say that's just the air I breathe every second of every day. It's not. I don't want to put that on. I'm giving that to you as an example of what he's talking about. I went to Luminous City Church, our, our church plant down in the Gaslamp District last Sunday. That's why I wasn't I wasn't here with you all, right? But I could feel in my bones while I'm sitting there a desire to see them succeed. Do you see what I mean? You ever wonder what Paul means when he talks about it? And on top of that, I have my concern for all the churches. It's saying, I care about these people enough that I'm willing to let it impact me. The church is supposed to be a place where it doesn't mean that you're going to know everybody, but it means somebody's going to know you. And somebody's going to care. Now, before we turn this into a big old, oh, I'm glad somebody cares about me, the point really is that you're supposed to care about others. That it's you that's supposed to be the one that's sitting there and allowing it to hit you, to impact you. You know, I, uh, I was talking to a, a fellow pastor just this last week. And we were talking about uh, he, he's, he's going to, to see a therapist. And I I told him that there was a time in my life where I went and saw a therapist because I realized that things that should be impacting me are not impacting me. Right? If you're preaching uh, suicide funerals or you're looking at crime scenes or you're, you know, doing things like that, you should feel that. Right? Normal people would feel that. So police officers, paramedics, people like that, and pastors can get to that point where they don't feel it. And I think, sisters and brothers, whether we realize it or not, it can be apathy, it can be shutting down because we've got stuff of our own that we don't want to deal with. We are not willing to allow our hearts to be soft enough to, uh, to embrace our sisters and brothers the way that we could. We're not willing to be in labor. We might have done that a few times and said, you know, I had my kids, I ain't going back into labor anymore, figuratively speaking. I'm not willing to do that again because it hurts. And that's why I think a lot of Christians, if you ever uh, talk to people even in this room, that I know their stories, what, one of the reasons that they keep things at an arm's distance is because they've been hurt by the church before is their language, right? That's very real. That can happen. It's also true that many of us hurt the church on a regular basis. And what Paul is saying here in Galatians is, listen, that passion to see Christ formed in people, to see you become everything that, that Christ can envision for your life is something that I should, if I want to be a Bible-believing Christian, I should allow that to impact me. I should care. I should care. Not just me, though. You, too. You should care about me. You should care about each other. We... Should care about one another. And caring is far too flippant of a word. That's why he uses, I'm in labor. I'm screaming at the top of my lungs while somebody feeds me ice chips. All right? Until this happens. I can't sleep properly until this happens. I can't be out of pain until I see Christ formed in you. And I got to believe, sisters and brothers, that, that that right there is evidence of a spirit-filled heart. Which means, ironically, that Christ is being formed in you as you're caring. It's allowing yourself to experience it and then taking the appropriate action and steps to make sure that that person then is being cared for, dealt with. And you know, I had a friend uh, just, just last night that, that really Kind of scared me online. About she, she posted some stuff that made me think. She, I was concerned about her. Okay. Well, I can just kind of go, "Ooh, yikes, that's weird." Move on to the next story. That's depressing, <laughs> right? Or I can stop and go. Wouldn't that be something? If God could really break into her life the way that I think and I know He can. And wouldn't it be something, if instead of me just going, well, that's depressing, I just don't want to think about that, that I actually did something about it, I actually stopped and I actually texted something. I made a phone call. I prayed for her. I did something as a demonstration of care. And when I do, it's not just that Christ gets formed in them, it's that Christ gets formed in me when I do that. Does that make sense? That passion... For ministry, for people, for the church, for the kingdom, passion is the flavor of ministry. It just is. And so if, if you get the sense that, that, that I'm not passionate about whatever it is I'm doing or, or whatever, I'm probably distracted or whatever. What concerns me, or if you don't see it, you, have, you, can, you can come up to me don't say, hey, you, you were boring today. I don't mean that. Sometimes I'm just tired or I just don't preach well. But I do want you to know this. That, that the day that I don't care anymore, that's the day I need to step out. I care. And I hope you care. Because the game we're playing here, quote unquote, this is not like a little game of tiddlywinks or something. This is not an optional extracurricular activity. That's not how the Bible sees the church. The Bible sees the church as a matter of life and death, of eternity, of hell, of heaven, of lifestyle on this earth uh, it sees it, it, it the bible sees this as something that matters it mattered enough that god sent his son to die so the people could become free and so if god thinks it's important enough to sacrifice christ for it maybe i ought to care so i look at paul's language here he wants people to to grow in Christ. Now, we often will then turn to the spiritual disciplines. I think that's a great place to go as a means to an end. Prayer, reading the Bible, uh, gathering together and going to church, all these are spiritual disciplines that help us stay uh, alive spiritually, that help us flourish, that help Christ be formed in us. But they can become kind of these rituals that we do and forget that the big prize is Christ being formed in us. It's not, hey, guess what, I prayed, I prayed more this year than I did last year. Now, that's likely to help Christ be formed in you, but the prayer is a, is a means to an end. I'm connecting with my Heavenly Father, uh, and so there, Christ is formed in me. I'm reading the Word of God, and there, Christ is being formed in me because I'm listening to what God has to say. But they're kind of the, uh, they're the tools, they're the things, the conduits that allow us to do that. Another is simply being in the lives of other people enough that you care. That you care if something happens to them. You know, we, we our, our growth group is, is you, know, uh, you know, falling apart in all sorts of different ways. Just personally, it's just terrible stuff going on in people's lives. There's a lot of good, too, but there's a lot of stuff. And if we're going around and we're praying and somebody says something, you know, very serious, and it just kind of bounces off me, like... I'm Teflon Tim or whatever. It just kind of there's no there's I don't really care. Um, then 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 I need to pay attention to that. If the church that I'm a part of doesn't captivate me, okay, or I am not on board with the mission of the church, before I ask, well, it's the church's fault. Why don't I stop and ask? What about what about here? Maybe I'm not where I need to be. And start praying, okay, God, soften my heart. Set it on fire the way that you used to set people's hearts on fire in days of old. Get me in step with the Spirit. So I hope what I'm trying to say here is the tools that we often turn to can become just, you know, these random things that become, they take on a life of their own and become what our aim is, when in reality the aim is to have Christ formed in us. Uh, I'm going to introduce you to some guys now. Uh, go ahead, and th- this is a football team, Leatherheads, uh, back in the old days there. These are the fathers of the modern day football huddle. So, if you're not familiar with football, between plays, most plays, they will go back, oh, I don't know, 10 yards back, and they'll all get in a circle and talk about what play they're going to do next and then go forward. Okay? Well, these guys are deaf. So they used to communicate through sign language. So they would just get out there and they would do whatever. Well, one day they were getting their tail kicked and it became pretty obvious that somebody on the other team knew sign language. So they had to go gather up and do this because they were afraid somebody else knew sign language. Now, the point was to communicate. But what happened was people forgot why that began to take place and now everybody does it. But they don't even know, a lot of people don't even know the origins of it. It was when a bunch of deaf guys couldn't do sign language in public. So they got together, put their arms around each other, and made it tight. Now, every football team does it, and they don't even know why. Okay? Now, because we have no huddle offenses, they can communicate without a huddle. They do it anyway, out of ritual, because they think they can communicate better. So the goal is communication. The huddle is a tool. Christ being formed in you is the goal. Bible study is a tool. I study my Bible so that I can communicate better with my Heavenly Father. I'm listening to God. I'm getting truth in its purest form instead of just listening to the drivel of my homies. I'm now getting something that's stronger than that, that's more uh, substantive than that. I'm a I'm in community because I recognize that I need that—that I can participate in serving somebody else, and that's good for me. That helps Christ be formed in me, and I am going to commit myself to caring enough about my sisters and brothers that Christ is formed in them. That I'm willing to, if God inflicts me with that heavy of a of a of a weight or a burden, I'm willing to go into labor for you. That's not just a line in the Bible. I mean, Paul will say it again at Corinth. They'll say, hey, the body's uh, made up of many parts. The one part rejoices, all parts rejoice with it. I mean, there's a reason everything hurts if you smash your thumb with a hammer. The whole system shuts down. That's how the church is supposed to be. Now, there are dangers in that, right? And things that, that go on, people use that to try and manipulate the emotions of people and make the world revolve around them and blah, 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 blah. No, and that's be- why... It's all about health. It's about helping people grow up, get better, those who are mourning to be comforted, and for us to continue to flourish in Christ. And, and there is a fundamentally others focus to this message. It's not about trying to figure out how I can get as much care as possible from others. It's how can I, can Christ be formed in me to the point that I can uh, help others have Christ formed in them. So when we speak about spiritual life, We have to be careful. You know, a lot of the deepest people in this room are people that don't seem that deep. Now, I'm not saying that if they seem shallow, they're not. I'm saying that a lot of times we can mistake who's deep and who's not based on the criteria we see above ground, so to speak. The largest living organism on earth is the honey mushroom. So I got a little cluster of them here. That, right there, now you can see the tree behind it. That's the largest living organism on earth. It goes 1,665 football fields underground. You have this little cluster of mushrooms, but underground, it just goes goes and goes and goes and goes and goes and goes and goes, three and a half miles across. Now on the surface, they look pretty small, pretty unimpressive, right? You would have no idea that beneath the surface, those mushrooms, you know, are absolutely monstrous. So a lot of times we look at people and we go, oh, you know, they don't, they don't use a lot of lofty language. They seem very simple. Well, a lot of times those are the, the, the deepest people. And, yes, there are things that we can look at and kind of, I mean, you judge the tree by the fruit, and that's a legit thing, too. But that's different than kind of saying, oh, you know what, hey, every time I see them, they've got a leather-bound Bible under their arm, so they must be very spiritual. You see the difference with that? Right? There's a difference in the way that we look at these things. So when we ask somebody, how is your spiritual life going? or we ask that question? What we shouldn't really do is go, okay, how much am I praying? How much is my Bible being read? The question really is, how is Christ being formed in me? Which, sometimes, if none of these other things are being engaged, the question of whether or not he's being formed in you is, is worth asking. But don't think that just because I, I pray a lot, or just because I open my Bible a lot, that Christ is being formed in me. A lot of legalists read their Bible a lot. That's his point here at Galatia. He's going against, raging against legalism in this particular book. But when when you, when you look at the practices, they're not the enemy of Christ being formed in us, but they're also not the same as Christ being formed in us. So when people... Uh, get asked, hey, how's your spiritual life going? How's your walk going? However, you know, we Christians tend to word those things. Um, Dallas Willard, a, a practical theologian, one of my favorites, said this. He says, I used to answer that question by looking at the state of my devotional activities. Did I pray and read the Bible enough today? The problem is that by this measure, the Pharisees always win. People can be very disciplined, but remain proud and spiteful. So how do we measure spiritual growth so that the Pharisees don't win every time? I asked a wise man, how do you assess the well-being of your soul? And he immediately said, I ask myself two questions. Am I growing more easily discouraged these days? Am I growing more easily irritated these days? I read that and I was like, oh, gee whiz, those are pretty good. He says, at the core of a flourishing soul are the love of God and the peace of God. If peace is growing in me, I'm less easily discouraged. If love is growing, I'm less easily irritated. And so Willard goes on, he writes, it was a brilliantly helpful diagnostic to assess the health of my soul. And then he goes on, listen, this this is important. Some will say, can I not be saved? That is, get into heaven when I die without any of that? Perhaps you can, he writes. God's goodness is so great, I'm sure that he will let you in if He can find any basis at all to do so. But you might wish to think about what your life amounts to before you die, about what kind of person you're becoming, and about whether you really would be comfortable for eternity in the presence of the one whose company you have not found especially desirable for the few hours and days of your earthly existence. And he is, after all, the one who says to you now, follow me. See, it's not just for the the, the eternal side of this thing, right? It's, It's for now. Who would you go into labor for? Anybody other than your own kids? Is there there a person on this earth, other than yourself, and your own immediate family, that you would go into labor for? That's a tough question. And it's easy to go, oh, sure there is. But really think about that. Because most of the time what's asked of us is far less than that. It's very simple, it's very basic. It just comes in the form of, hey, can I, would you pray for me? Hey, would you be willing to do X? And I know there's just one of you, and I know life is busy, but I do think that if we're interested in Christ being formed in us and in others, then our priorities, the way we allocate our time needs to match what we claim our priorities are. And that means planning for a life that will be interrupted. Creating enough margin in my life that I can be interrupted without being irritated at the one who's interrupting me with their problem. I remember it was New Year's Eve not that long ago. Um, actually it was, I'm getting old. It was a long time ago. But I was driving, was, I, was, I, was, I was in the car with my then girlfriend, it predates Emily, it was a long time ago. Um, I. I remember being on New Year's Eve, we were, we were up in the Pasadena area on a freeway and it was absolutely gridlocked. And I remember just ranting and raving about traffic and blah, 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 blah. And we got up and there was a terrible car accident and people, you know, bodies on the road. It was a terrible scene. And I just remember feeling so awful that I had griped about the traffic when somebody had just lost their, their life, you know. Um, and that, that, that was a signal early on, hey man, you're too busy, you're too urgent. Be patient. Be willing to be patient. And create things in such a way within your life and with things you have control over that will allow you to be interrupted and to welcome it as God using you for ministry as opposed to an interruption on your primary agenda. Does that make sense? So when Jesus is on earth, he has this nice rhythm to his life, and it's very rare that he seems to be upset that somebody's, you know, Engaging him wherever he goes. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to be that way. The only thing Walt Disney was afraid of was mice, ironically. <laughs> and I do think some Christians are a little bit like that. They secretly fear things that they put out to other people. Um, so this one, this one rings for me. The goal of the church is spiritual formation. We have been formed as a church to form people. The church is formed to form. It's not just the conversion of lost people, it's the conversion of lost people into fully devoted disciples of Jesus over the course of a lifetime. And it's always been disciple making, not disciple starting. So if we don't do anything else, sisters and brothers, we're in the deliverance business. But that deliverance means not just that we're Reverend Rankin and we got the house where people go across the river, they make it to the house. It's that once they're there, I care about them after they leave my house too. So yeah, we we helped you reach freedom, but now we need to teach you how to live in freedom so that you don't return to a life of slavery. So I'm asking you this morning, and we're gonna gather around the Lord's table here in just a moment. So those who are gonna be passing trays, go ahead and and take your spots. Um, As we do, I'm asking you to join me in that that we be willing to be in labor for others. And just as he said, just as he was in labor to see Christ formed in the Galatians, that we would be eager to see Christ formed in one another and to see him formed in those who are outside of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 3, 4-6 says this, such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, not the letter of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Next week he's going to describe in our text what it's like to walk in the, in the Spirit. How do you know? Am I walking in the Spirit or am I not working in the Spirit? And he'll say, it's obvious. The works of the flesh look like this. The works of the, 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 of the Spirit look like this. And so now, if we're willing, I think God can meet us here and begin shaping a, a certain kind of people, people who are willing to be in labor for others. Who, as Galatians 6, 2 will say, will bear one another's burdens and in so doing fulfill the law of Christ. And so this morning, if you're here and you're hurting, if you're here and you're spiritually wobbly, God cares. We care. If you're not, praise God for that. Care about somebody else in here today. Somebody else in your life. Be willing to feel things for them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, when we were lost, when we were in slavery, you rescued us. And you taught us by the power of the Holy Spirit how to live in freedom. And so now as we take this supper, we recommit ourselves to that ministry, not just a short-term deliverance, a one-time deliverance, Father, but the ability to live in freedom, the ability to, to live free from anything other than Christ. And so this morning, we thank you for Jesus, who we remember now with bread and cup, his body and blood shed for us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.